the extent to which payroll can help influence the broader HR community to say, look, you know, we've, we're sitting on all of this powerful data, you know, for every employee record, we always have these things. But actually, if, if we have these things as well, be it ethnicity, disability, uh, et cetera, then, you know, think about the power of that data for us to really be able to understand the organisation. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Group, specialist HR recruiters. Now, whether you're listening to this for the first time or the thousandth time, please let me take this opportunity to say thank you for joining me today on what I think will be an exciting and interesting deep dive into the world of DE&I. Now, before I introduce today's guest, let me just say, if you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe to it. Please share it with all of your HR colleagues and friends. And if you can, leave us a review. And of course, you can access the podcast on every single major podcast channel. Now, today I am joined by Caroline Drake, who's Chief People Officer at award-winning payroll and HR solutions provider, Zealous. For those not familiar with Zealous, here is a snapshot of the business in numbers. They pay over 5 million employees every single month. In fact, £28 billion is paid out each year through their managed payroll and HR services provision. They also pay over 29% of the FTSE 100 customers. So it's it's a pretty impressive uh, organization that has access to huge amounts of data. And interestingly, as part of the zealous vision, which is to be a leader in the world of HR, reward, analytics, pay and people experiences, they have decided to develop a report in cooperation with The Economist that is focused on diversity data, diversity data that can determine what it is that's holding back progress in delivering effective data-led DE&I campaigns. Now, if you're wondering why a company largely focused on human resources decided to commission research on DE&I data collection, stay tuned because you're about to find out because I think the results are fascinating. I don't want to give too much away. So Caroline, welcome to the HR L&D podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks very much, Nick. Doing well. Good. So let's talk about this study because I'd love to know what it was that inspired you to create the study which you've called Time to Act, Seven Principles for Effective DEI Data Gathering. What did that, you know, what was the inspiration behind that report and what did it involve? Yeah, so um, we, I personally feel really passionate about diversity, equity and inclusion and uh, so does our CEO, John, and the broader exec team. And we're really keen to set quite an ambitious strategy internally at Zealous and to support our customers where we can. And so we felt it's such a dynamic and fast-paced field that we really wanted to commission some research to make sure that we've really got the latest the latest views uh, on how to approach this as we set out on our roadmap. Fantastic. I understand that there are over a thousand employees based in UK and Ireland involved in this study. You worked with over 10 diversity, equity and inclusion experts to really sort of build this, this study and, and bring it to life. The research report, though, does indicate that there is a diversity data deficit. So for those listening, what does that mean? Yeah, really interesting. So 
Really, it relates to how comprehensive data collection is. If you think about it, data captured often doesn't cover the range of characteristics that employees identify with. And I don't think data capture is keeping pace with this dynamic and evolving field that I referred to earlier. Sure. So a couple of really simple examples. You know, organisations still talk about gender as male and female. We're actually asking the question, I am, with options for a woman, a man, non-binary, trans, or prefer to self-describe, is much more relevant in today's world. And another example would be, organizations still sometimes asking colleagues to identify as black, Asian, minority, ethnic, which is a very, very broad categorization. And actually many colleagues don't identify with it. And so they may choose not to submit data. So it, it's both a combination of sometimes not having enough data uh, or not being collected frequently enough or maintained effectively, or as I say, keeping the pace uh, with this evolving dialogue on, on diversity, equity and inclusion. Sure, that makes sense. Obviously, to get this kind of data, as you say, it, it can be quite sensitive. Not everyone identifies in the boxes we try and sometimes get them to identify within. And, and so in order then to get the right data, we need to be able to develop trust, I presume. So in the, during the course of this study, what did you find in relation to that trust relationship with the employer? And how, and how comfortable were employees in, in sharing some of this data with you? Yeah, trust is so important. And it differed, actually, depending on a number of things. So depending on the culture of the organisation, depending on the point at which a colleague was asked for that data. So if somebody's joining the organisation for the first time and they maybe don't understand how it's going to be used or the culture of the organisation, they may be less inclined to want to give some of this diversity data. Whereas perhaps once they have a better understanding of why the organisation wants to collect it, what they're going to do with the data they're right not to take part or to self-describe if they don't uh, identify with one of the categories, how the data will be collected and stored and who will have access to it. Once colleagues understand that, then actually typically they're very happy to, to give that data. So I think openness and honesty around actions is really important to build trust, but I think also collecting data at different points through the employee lifecycle. It might sound like common sense, but our research was a welcome way really to prove that people aren't unwilling to share data. They just need a reason to and they need to understand why in order to have the trust to share that sensitive information. Sure. I know from a, from a high level, I mean, I, I've, I've done some work in this field as well in terms of panels and, and different talks we've done on, on, on equity and, and diversity and inclusion. I know there's a, a really, quite a, I say quite famous now because it's referenced regularly, which is the Boston Consulting Group study in 2018, which really talks about some of the positive impacts of having a diverse board and a diverse workforce. Can you talk to us a little bit more about some of those results that you found at a, at a high level? I mean, the impact of diverse boards and, uh, and, and organisations, I mean, really simply... If I take Zealous as an example, I mean, our customers are hugely diverse. We have more pay as part of our Zealous group as well as the Zealous business. And so, you know, we're partnering with some of the smallest to the largest organisations across many different industries. And so for us, having a diverse and representative workplace filled with colleagues from different backgrounds, skills, experience, knowledge, creates better, more innovative solutions and products for our customers. And I, and I would say that's true of of all organisations. So I, I think having diversity at the top of the organisation really role models it. But, but for me, it's important at every level. 
Yeah, completely agree. And certainly the study comes back to say, you know, more diverse workforces show that not only is it a more inclusive environment, but actually there's better profits, strengthens talent and retention, something obviously we're very passionate about here in terms of recruitment, increased product strategy, diversity of thought, and there are so many benefits coming on the back of it. But I'm sure during the course of this study, it must have been quite difficult to sometimes get, and also there's, I imagine there's sort of sensitivity around maintaining some of the I guess, the categorizing characteristic data that you're taking. So how did you work through that? And what would you be recommending if people are or companies are looking to maintain this data? Is there kind of a process or a protocol um, or you know, that you would recommend? Yeah, well, I think having specific enough characteristics is really important. Um, I think it helps you to get the data in the first place because people identify uh, and want to want to give the data but also it gives you more to be able to analyze and, and importantly people to self-describe if they can't find a box or a characterization that they identify with. So for example, if you take disability, the option for employees to self-describe is really, really important because you know sometimes people just don't identify with the definition or they may actually have multiple mental, mental and physical health conditions. And so it's kind of hard for them to to really work out what to select. So I think that's really important. You know, for us, we're a data company, really, at our heart. And having clear data is really important to be able to use it. But people are complex. And I think that has to be considered in how you capture data where it relates to diversity. Sure. It's constantly evolving, as, as I said before. I think um, obviously those listening to this podcast as well, whether you work in payroll, whether you work in human resources, like data is now right at the forefront of of both of those functional areas. You know that, that it can it can help make strategic decisions, it can help drive the achievement of strategic objectives if we use that data smartly. But I imagine when it comes to diversity and inclusion, equity data particularly when you're talking about some of those special characteristics, it must be notoriously difficult sometimes to actually get the data that you that you need to help sort of advance your ED&I programme. So what would you say to those employers that are keen to do something, they're keen to reduce this gap, they're keen to improve, but they don't quite know where to start in terms of getting that data or how to, you know, don't know how to ask those sensitive questions? Look, you can, you know, obviously partners like ourselves, and one of the reasons that we're evolving our own product is so that, A, we can capture the data for ourselves in a more progressive way, but also so that we can help our customers to do the same. So where you have HRIS systems, where you have, be it recruitment processes, HR processes, where you're capturing the data, really try and use those partnerships to understand how you can make progress on that front because it is changing at such a rapid rate so you know nobody's got all of the answers and the more that we can work with each other I think the better the better for all of us you know I think this point around trust and transparency and being super clear with colleagues why you're asking for data how you're going to use it what's in it for them well actually what's in it for them is it helps us be a better company it helps us be more diverse it helps us build our culture but it's not a one-off exercise I think it has to happen at various moments through the colleague life cycle and I think you need to constantly be communicating and be transparent about both why you want this data and how it's going to be used. Have you ever asked yourself how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. 
we also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Sure, that makes total sense. I know there's a lot of reports saying that data is now the, the most valuable currency in the world because of what we can do with that data. And I think, A, that obviously means people are sometimes more sensitive about sharing it. But... B, if it's used correctly, it can it can generate some fantastic results. It can help reduce some of these these gaps that we're seeing in terms of of pay and and and, and equity. Yeah. From your perspective, as a company that's right at the forefront of both HR and payroll services, obviously has access to significant amounts of big data. What can companies do with that data to make better use of it to actually? result in positive outcomes and maybe zealous already doing some of the things so maybe some of the services you're already providing some of your clients but even if they're not working with a provider like yourself is there anything for the smaller businesses as well that they can do with that data to really promote positive change yeah absolutely so i mean the firstly you need the data to understand what your starting position is so you know the most important thing is that any organization however big or small starts the dialogue, has good intent to make progress from wherever their starting position is and and put some actions, however simple or complex, around making progress. And so the first thing that data gives you, I think, is a a starting point and and an ability to measure and track progress over time. I think it also helps, again, however big or small your organisation is, it helps you really understand the makeup of your organisation. How representative is it of the customers that you serve, of the geographies that you operate in? And this point I, I, I said earlier about diversity of thought to, to innovate for customers, but also, you know, for customers to feel that you understand them. There's obviously regulatory reasons as well. So I'm sure the people listening to this podcast will be very familiar with things like gender pay gap reporting, obviously discussion around future potential for disability pay gap reporting, ethnicity pay gap reporting. There's a really good quality data helps organisations get that stuff right from the start and you will remember at the start of gender pay, there were quite a lot of bumps in the road, shall we say, around uh, the reporting of that data for organisations. Yeah. From a HR perspective, what I'm really getting excited about is when you use data to spot unconscious bias in the systems and ways of working of an organisation. So, for example, if you look at compensation or bonus, you know, and you look at how you're paying different groups of colleagues to spot if there's disparities, when you look at performance ratings, is there any unconscious bias in your performance systems, for example? Our engagement results, again, you can look at that through different lenses and different groups, all still anonymized, but to get a real sense of how different colleagues from different backgrounds, how engaged they feel with the organization. And that's, for me, where it becomes super powerful. Sure, that makes total sense. And of course, if you're looking at it with that bird's eye view, when you look at it at scale, it's sometimes then you really spot a trend that you never knew was actually there because you say it's unconscious, but actually when you do things across a whole business, wow, sometimes it can really stay in the face in terms of the results. Was there anything in in terms of your study then, which you did in, in, in cooperation with The Economist, that surprised you where you thought, actually, this is the result I'm expecting to find. Um, and then the data came back and you went, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, Good question. I don't think anything particularly surprised me other than I think it's always easy to underestimate the value of over-communicating. To this point, I said earlier about clarity of why you're using data, 
you know, how you're going to collect it, how you're going to store it, building trust with colleagues. That is probably more that I underestimated it rather than was surprised by it. Sure, that makes sense. Take a strategic approach rather than an authoritarian one saying we need this without understanding why. I think, as, yeah, as you say, it's, it's, it's really important. Something that's really interesting, and it's a drum that people know if they've listened to this podcast for a time, I bang regularly, but for both HR and payroll professionals to really raise their strategic value um, in terms of you know board level strategic contributions, I am a firm believer that you need to utilize data more and more now than ever before to help with those decision making. Of course, HR and payroll have access to huge volumes of data from your perspective what kind of data at the moment could an hr or pale professional be utilizing perhaps more than they currently are to help drive some of those decisions is there you know is there new forms of data now with the kind of record keeping that we are taking with the questions that we're asking that could really help progress change going forward that perhaps we weren't doing even even pre-pandemic yeah, I I probably go back to the types of data that we collect and have you know having specific enough characteristics to collect the data. I think that's really important. I, I suspect if most organisations went through either their payroll system or their HR system, there's probably quite a lot of data lacking. So you're never lacking on the things you need to actually pay people, like bank details, NI number, etc. But but there's other data that is often missing. So. The extent to which payroll can help influence the broader HR community to say, look, you know, we're sitting on all of this powerful data, you know, for every employee record, we always have these things. But actually, if if we have these things as well, be it ethnicity, disability, uh, et cetera, then, you know, think about the power of that data for us to really be able to understand the organisation, say how representative we are of customers, where there might be we might be able to spot disparities or issues that you, you can't always see. They're not always obvious. It might be unconscious. And really to then be able to target interventions around that, because it's a very broad topic, diversity. And I think it can feel quite overwhelming, actually, for organisations to set out on a path to improve diversity, especially if you're a smaller organisation, because you don't have a big team of people who you know, live and breathe diversity, equity and inclusion every day. They've got lots of other things that they're doing. And so, you know, both payroll and HR have a really valuable source of data. And the more that they can get that data complete, the complete picture, the more that they can maybe maintain the descriptions of what's captured through, you know, making sure it's relevant and most recent government census, for example, so that colleagues are recognising the things they're being asked about. um, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I guess some of it then is not just about using the data you've got at your disposal. It's identifying where the gaps are in your data and filling those gaps so you can you know, deliver better results. And if you're not, as you say, if you're not asking some of those questions or obtain that data now, let's identify what, what it is we're missing so that we can go and get that data, ask it sensitively, ask for the right reasons, understand why we're asking, and then actually you can fill in some of those gaps. What about, though, then, if we use the um, gender pay gap reporting uh, as an example, or as you say, we've got ethnicity um, pay gap reporting, others coming in as well. For the companies that have less than 250 employees that don't legally have to get involved in some of that reporting yet, they might be listening, re- listening to this, go, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I, I don't know if it's relevant for business of my size. Based on the findings you've had through this study, what would you say to, the, to those individuals? Well, I think even if you don't have to do it for regulatory reasons, it it doesn't mean it's not a good reason to do it. Now, it may not be gender pay specifically, but it may be other things that you want to to look at. And when you deal with data, you're dealing with 
objective facts rather than kind of anecdotes and perceptions and reinforced bias that we you know may or may not be conscious or unconscious and so I, I, I think actually some of the most ambitious organisations when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion are sometimes the smaller organisations in truth. So Caroline, why did a company largely focused on human resources commission research on equality, diversity and inclusion data collection? I think simply we, we believe it's good for us and we believe it's good for our customers. Uh, John Petter, who's our CEO, recently set out our ESG strategy and two pillars were about you know, doing the right thing by our customers and doing the right thing by our people. And data is where one of our strengths lies. And if we can use our product to both help ourselves, but in turn help our customers better understand their business, that feels a great place to be. And as I said before, we're setting a really ambitious roadmap within Zealous. And so by innovating our own data capture processes, deploying it in our own tools, it starts us on the road to realising that ambition. And I hope we'll make it easier for our customers to realise their own aspirations as well. Yeah, I think that's generally absolutely fantastic. I think it's really commendable that you're, you're pushing the agenda forward, using the data at your disposal for, for, to make social change, which is what we need and what we want to see more of. And I think it's, uh, it's a fantastic study. Now, it's titled Seven Principles Any Company Can Apply to Improve DE&I Data Gathering Going Forward. I wondered, um, Caroline, if you can just share what some of those seven principles are with our listeners. So the seven key principles are about be clear about how the data is going to be used and explain that it's needed to promote fairness and inclusivity. Uh, foster this inclusive culture, which enables colleagues to feel valued and heard. Frame data collection efforts as part of a company-wide transformation that involves everybody from you know, the top to the bottom of the organisation. Uh, focus particularly on reaching out to those groups where disclosure rates might otherwise be lower uh, to make sure they feel listened to, to get their trust, to complete the data. The fifth being about, you know, ensuring that the data collection is comprehensive and it really truly does cover the range of characteristics that colleagues identify with. Maintaining sensitivity when categorising those characteristics and analysing the data, keeping up with that DEI dialogue I mentioned before. And lastly, making sure that it's easy for colleagues to update their data at various points in the colleague life cycle. Sure. Fantastic. Well, it's a, it's a really fascinating study. I recommend everyone goes and downloads it. And I will put a link in the episode notes so you can access that. It's a free download. You can find it by going to solutions.zealous.com forward slash time hyphen two hyphen act, which I think is a very apt name in itself. Um, and it's a really, really informative study that you can really you know, digest in your own time. But actually, the findings are amazing and it can really help elevate the HR profession, the payroll profession, and actually businesses as a whole. If we use this data carefully, if we use it sensibly, then as a you know, combination of all the clients coming together that, that take these ED&I issues seriously, we can really, really, really influence change. And that's the most positive thing. And it's amazing to see a business like Zealous you know, really acting at the forefront and making, you know, making these changes possible and giving us the data to do so. So, Karen, thank you ever so much for talking us through that study. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Caroline Drake, Chief People Officer and award-winning payroll and HR solutions provider, Zealous. And of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast and you have an HR, HRIS or L&D related vacancy that you would love some specialist HR recruitment support with, please do get in touch with me or my team. I would love to show you what a great HR recruitment experience can feel like. You can access my details at www.jgarecruitment.com. 
www.thehlmbpodcast.com. Just leaves me to say thank you ever so much, Caroline, for joining me today on the HR LMB podcast. I look forward to bringing you the next episode real soon. Many thanks. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.